There are so many rules lately. You feel that? Yeah. Um, I feel, this is what I feel like these days. Almost all the time. I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but, but, uh, but I'm just exhausted. Uh, following rules is not easy. Uh, I'm not naturally that great of a rule follower by nature, uh, but, but it's, it's not easy to have so many rules. And sometimes the rules come from uh, where we're living and the state of the pandemic. Sometimes because kids, you're at home a lot with your parents these days. I don't know if you've noticed that or if you're feeling the crunch. My kids tell me they are feeling the crunch. Um, when, when I say that I'm sometimes feeling the crunch, they're like, yeah, just think about living with you all the time, Dad. <laughs> but, but what are some of the rules? And you can, if, you can just speak them out loud. What are, what are some of the rules that you've been working hard on lately, kids? What are some of the rules that, that you have to follow? What's that? No screaming. Oh, yeah. No screaming. There's tech. There's... Oh, what was that one? Oh, no loud singing? That's a hard one for me too, Madeline. No loud singing. Don't be loud. How about cleaning your room regularly, maybe? Mowing the lawn. Wearing masks all the time. Yeah, uh, there, there's a lot. There's a lot of, of rules, and I want you to think a little bit about, about the process of following. Sometimes we follow rules for really, really good reasons, but they can still feel intense. They can still feel heavy. They can still feel burdensome. I want to look at a, uh, a passage in John when John is uh, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and it's really cool. John talks in his gospel uh, essentially, and we've talked about this so many times before, John's my probably my favorite gospel because the imagery is so rich, but, uh, but he tells a second creation story in John 1. So he starts with in the beginning. We're not going to get into that, but, but the point is that he's talking about, um, about God creating a new something, a new world that culminates in Jesus. And here's what he says about, and, and he weaves in even the history of God's church before that. And so in verse uh, 16, put it up on the screen there if you need it. Um, in, in chapter 1, verse 16, this is right after the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and John comes through um, and, and says, look out, someone's coming, right, who is, uh, he surpassed me because he was before me, all this cool language, prophetic language. Out of his fullness, the fullness of Jesus, John says, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. So it's like, it's like we've received goodness on top of goodness. More, uh, it's like, it's like the, the thing that we get from Jesus is like um, on top of your ice cream sundae that has whipped cream, your grandfather comes in and puts that extra, that extra set of whipped cream that's way more than your parents allow for. It's that kind of a thing. And some of you that are grandparents, I see your, I see your faces because you know that you drive us crazy when you do that, us parents. But we love it at the same time. So anyways, grace upon grace upon grace is, is uh, what John is saying is happening. And he gets kind of carried away. And then he makes this statement and he says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, which is an interesting statement in and of itself because the Old Testament witness is full of people seeing God. But John's saying, compared to Jesus, nobody's even 
had a glimpse of the truth of God. Okay. But the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. But I, what I want you to, to sit with is that middle statement, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Uh, so so here's, here's our question. Uh, earlier, earlier we listened to a song a couple minutes ago, a couple moments ago, that longed for the promised land. What do we know about Moses? What was Moses' role in the scriptures? I mean, the, the verse, it kind of gives it away. But what did he bring to his people? He brought, he brought the law, right? So he went up to Mount Sinai and he received the law from God. The way, sorry, I'm stepping out of the frame. The way that, um, that God's people would be able to walk faithfully. The commandments, not just 10, there's over 600 laws in the scriptures um, that, that the, the Hebrews had to listen to in order to be faithful. There were a lot of rules to be following to be able to make it. And so, so in the midst of this, uh, John is becoming overwhelmed with what it means that Jesus brings grace. And so what he does is he compares Jesus, not actually with Moses, only in part, what do you know about Moses? And this here is for some of you uh, Bible, Bible geeks that enjoy learning the stories. I hope you learn this if you haven't yet. Moses' role was to deliver God's people to the promised land, but does Moses ever get there? No. Right. Moses does not actually enter the promised land. It's, there's this little story in Numbers 20 where uh, God's people are in the Exodus. They're in the wilderness. They're griping because they don't have enough water, which, by the way, is... a moderately legitimate complaint, okay? Like, sometimes we're really hard on these people living in the desert. Really legitimate complaint. So God go, or so Moses goes to God, and God says, I'm going to meet that need. So gather the people together, and I want you to speak to this rock, and water is going to come out of the rock, okay? But Moses is fed up with people and with what they've been doing. So what he does is when he brings them together, he says, you bunch of complainers, you want me to do something? Here, must, must we bring water from the rock? And he smashes his staff against the rock instead of holding his staff and speaking to the rock. And he uses the phrase we, meaning him and Aaron. Must we do this for you because you're griping so much? And later on, God says, listen, because you relied on yourself there, because you, were un because you didn't honor me and trust me to bring this, even though I gave you the ability to do this, because you didn't trust me with that, you thought you had to do it on your own. And in doing so, that's going to make it hard for you to enter the promised land. You're only going to be able to get a glimpse of it, but you won't truly enter the promised land. Now, there's a lot more there to it. But here's the thing. Who does enter the promised land? Who leads God's people into the promised land? Anybody know? Joshua. Thank you. Okay. Joshua. Hebrew word for Joshua is Yeshua. Okay? Greek word for Joshua is Iesus. Yeah, I can see it in some of your eyes. When we transliterate Yeshua from Hebrew into English, it's Joshua. But when we transliterate uh, Iesus in Greek into English, it's Jesus. Joshua and Jesus have been given the exact same name. So what Paul is trying, or I keep saying Paul, I apologize. What John is trying to do is trying to say, hey, listen, Moses and the law can only take you so far. But Joshua gets you into the real promised land. He's defining Jesus as a new Joshua. 
and saying, listen, Jesus the Christ, that's why he adds Christ, because honestly, he could make that statement, and, and the people listening, who he's writing in Greek, the people listening would say, yeah, Moses, Moses, you know, brought the law, but then Joshua brought whatever. And so he makes sure he says, but Jesus Christ, <laughs> Jesus, the, Joshua the chosen, Joshua the Christ, the Messiah, he is how you experience the promised land, which is pla- a place of dwelling in grace and truth. Following the rules only takes us so far. We might be good rule followers, but the thing is, a faith philosophy that is based on rules or on self-achievement can only take us so far, and we won't enter the promised land that Jesus designs for us to be able to walk in. We've agreed together here during this season to follow quite a few rules, but if all we do is simply follow them, we don't actually get to the promised land. We need Jesus to take us to the next space, the space of real life the place of abundant love and care and grace and peace. So what does a faith look like that moves um, from law to truth and grace? That's that's a, a question, and it's a rather obvious answer maybe, but it looks like Christ. It's shaped. A faith that moves from law to grace and truth is literally shaped like Jesus, Okay? And what that means, the word that we like to use, the fancy word that we like to use for it is cruciform. We have a cruciform faith, the faith that is shaped like the cross. And what that means is that when we move from laws, which are often very much about me doing everything right, and we move into a a faith that looks like Jesus, then we understand that, yes, we have a vertical element to our faith. We have, we have an important element that is founded on the love and grace that we receive from God and obedience to God. But if it is a cruciform faith that is shaped like Jesus, then it absolutely has a horizontal element to it too. If you're a rule follower, it's really hard for you to fully embrace the horizontal element because we often think that we can earn you know, our righteousness by just making sure that we're right with God. But Jesus says over and over again, you can't be right with God if you're not right with people because the way that God makes you right is by transforming you into such a new person that the way that you love others is forever transformed. Okay? And so, so, so that's one way that a cruciform faith um, plays a role. The second thing, though, is that it literally, it literally looks like the cross of Christ. A cruciform faith looks like what Jesus looks like on the cross at the moment of redemption, laying his life down for the sake of others, full surrender to God. If our faith stops with the the law, then we start thinking that if we do the rules right, we get all the benefits, that we deserve what we worked for, and we forget the root of what Jesus came to do which was not to give us a set of rules so that we follow it and and we're good, but rather to actually deliver, deliver us. Jesus being a deliverer is one of the primary gospel truths, and it's how we experience grace grace and truth. But uh, if our faith primarily consists of doing all the right things to get the reward, then we've warped our understanding of deliverance. Most of us, if we're honest, right, most of us, when we think of the word deliverer, It only has to do with two things, same-day shipping and Chinese takeout, right? A deliverer exists to bring us things that we order, (laughs) 
is the delivery person here yet? Is our deliverer here? You know, that's how we tend to think about these things. But, but what we forget when, when subtly a faith that is mostly focused on us, what that subtly ends up doing is we turn Jesus, the deliverer, into a delivery person who brings us our goods. And we forget that the idea of deliverance is not bringing people something, but bringing people somewhere. And Jesus brings us from a certain land, from a land where sin and death and self dwells, into a land of life and love and selflessness. It's beautiful and and it's profound, but we have to understand that Jesus wants to bring us somewhere, not just bring us something. And that's the difference between bringing even the gift of salvation is a beautiful glimpse of what God wants to do on a holistic level. Salvation means that we have been made new. The New Testament cannot be more clear about this. We don't just sit on our chairs saying, I'm so thankful that God has rescued me. Instead, we get to work. We engage with the world. But it's a shift that does not look like rules anymore. Listen to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to the shifts of measurable rules to the realm of the heart right? Moving from, from the law to something much deeper, right? So, so the law says don't murder, Jesus says. That's an action that is easily measurable. But the promised land, Jesus says, instead, living in, living in the promised land, which the New Testament language for the promised land is the kingdom of God, living in the kingdom of God looks like not letting anger take root in your heart. That's very, very difficult to measure externally by a rule, That's something that can only happen in this new land, this new world of the promised land, walking with Jesus. That's when we can get a grip on the anger that might start to take root in our heart when we otherize people or when we we let ourselves seethe in that which we don't like. The the law says don't commit adultery, something very measurable. But but the, the promised land says don't let lust and don't let desire for what's not yours take root in your heart and destroy you. Let it, let it be a heart issue instead of a, a, a how close can I toe the line kind of an, an issue. The, the law says treat your enemy like your enemy, Jesus says. But the promised land, pray for your enemies, act for their good, and just see what happens. See if you begin to experience a world of grace and truth in a new way when you step into these promised land spaces. So you see how Jesus moves us into a new place? Um, A disciple of Jesus knows that they are entering the promised land because they begin looking around and they begin seeing things, not through a lens of the rules that I have to follow, but through a lens that reminds them constantly of God's abundant love and and the ways that they can walk in love with their neighbors. As I was taking notes for this message, I wrote down the phrase, Jesus brings us into a land of love. When I wrote that down, I thought, oh boy, that brings up a memory that I did not think I would ever share publicly, um, because, but I have to because it's just too good of a fit. Last year, over our anniversary, Melody knows this because I told her about it. <laughs> Last year, over our anniversary, Bethany and I took a short trip because we saw something on Groupon for a discounted couples resort in the Poconos, all right? And, uh, and this, this place, the, the nickname, the, trade line that, or the, the trademark that they went by was the Land of Love. And um, I hope you can see that. Uh, so, so Bethany and I took a trip for about 48 hours to a place called the Land of Love, 
all right? And it was no, no children. It was couples only. And listen, every single space on this entire campus was designed to constantly remind you that where you are at right now is about you and your lover and nothing else, right? From every element, from the names of the food on the menu, okay, to the heart-shaped stencil markings on the tree for the trails, okay, to the uh, champagne glass-shaped hot tubs, yep, that some rooms had. Ours did not have that. We had a heart. There you go. And those are the only pictures you are seeing from that weekend. And so, but, but here's the thing. Letting Jesus lead us beyond kind of the, the world of laws and into the promised land is, is just like that in a super weird way. When, when Jesus is leading us somewhere, okay, when we begin to be changed by the spirit of grace and the spirit of the truth of how God feels toward us and toward the world. By the way, that's the truth. The Jesus came bringing grace and truth. The truth isn't all of the things that are right and wrong now. That's, there's truth there, without a doubt. But Jesus coming to bring grace and truth means, Je- means Jesus is bringing the truth about what God feels about you, how God feels toward the world, how God feels toward your enemies. This, this is the beauty of the truth, that you feel like you're all beyond redemption, but that's not the truth. The truth is that God loved you and sent his son for you. The truth is that God would lay down his life for you. That's the truth, and that's what changes us. We want to take truth and turn it back into a bunch of rules. That's not what we're getting at. Uh, John is not saying grace and truth being like the balance. These are lumped into the character of Christ together. It's beautiful. But, but when we get into that, when we get into this land of love, we realize that, that um, God's character is for everyone. So you see someone in pain, and rather than going into a, a world of despair, you pray for them, and you offer encouragement, and you do what you can because you're living in a promised land that only could G- Jesus could take you into and give you hope for. Someone hurts you, so you forgive and you release because the land of grace is big enough for the both of you. You, you feel like things are out of control, so the promised land means that we can rest on the truth that Jesus will never leave you and that there is grace for that moment. Grace upon grace upon grace with a cherry on top kind of language. This is the beauty. This is all such incredibly good news. Jesus is bringing us into a promised land, and it's the place where everything reminds us that grace reigns. So for kids, what if um, Jesus is inviting you to go beyond just following your parents' rules and into doing something special because you want to show them love? What if that's what it looks like? Adults, what's your land? What's, what's grace and truth in action in the promised land? What does it look like for you to ask the question, what promised land are you waiting on the edge of that only Jesus can take you into? The law can't get you there. Following all the right rules cannot get you there. But Jesus does, longs to take us to a deeper place, to a place where truth, truth and grace is such a deep experience of us that we don't even keep other people out of that land anymore. That's one of the beautiful things of experiencing the promised land. We open the doors and we don't try to keep other people in the wilderness anymore when we've, been experienced, when we've experienced the promised land that comes through Jesus. So we rest in the goodness of that and we ask, where is Jesus inviting us into the promised land beyond the rule of law and into the space of grace and love and even deeper care for one another than we've ever had before? All right. Jesus, thank you for moments where we can 
just rest in your grace. Thank you that you move us beyond simply following rules and into being loved. I pray that you would help us walk full, fully with every bit of our essence into this promised land that you lead us into. We thank you for what you've done and for how we get to live as beneficiaries of that. And we pray that we hold that gift in such a way that helps us experience peace now and love for our neighbors. Amen.